This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Dana-Farber scientists laid the foundation for CDK4-6 inhibitors, new drugs that are increasing the survival rate for many advanced breast cancers. Learn more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. A warning, this episode contains explicit language. Dix the Musical is an extremely apt title for the frantic, absurdist new movie. It's about a pair of misogynistic narcissists who discover their long-lost twins. It's got cheeky song and dance numbers, plus the crude humor and distinctly queer sensibility of John Waters in his divine era. Maybe, okay, definitely, leave the kiddos at home for this one and your more narrow-minded relatives. I'm Glenn Weldon. And I'm Aisha Harris. And today on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about Dix the Musical. Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. This message comes from Capital One, presenting sponsor of the 2024 Tiny Desk Contest. Earlier this year, unsigned musicians from around the country submitted their original songs for the 10th annual Tiny Desk Contest. The panel of judges are hard at work picking standout entries, and you can follow along and choose your favorite videos as well. The winner gets to play their very own Tiny Desk Concert, then headline a tour with NPR Music this summer. Want to come along for the ride? Visit tinydeskcontest.npr.org to learn more. Then check out the Venture X card from presenting sponsor Capital One. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy and turn everyday purchases into extraordinary trips. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how a new study aims to impact an underrepresented community. My greatest hope for the Voices of Black Women study is that it will help us understand and identify culturally tailored ways to change and really eliminate the unacceptable disparities for future generations of Black women as it relates to cancer. To learn more, go to voices.cancer.org. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. Joining me in Glen today is Jeffrey Masters. He's the host of the podcast LGBTQ&A and senior producer at the New Yorker Radio Hour. Hey, Jeffrey, welcome back. Hey, y'all. Thank you. Are you ready? Are you ready to talk about this? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> to make it safe for NPR, there's going to be some gymnastics, I think. Yes, some a lot of gymnastics. Uh, so... First of all, Dix the Musical stars Josh Sharp and Aaron Jackson as obnoxious salesmen Craig and Trevor. When their company merges, they meet for the first time and discover their twins who were separated at birth, each raised by one of their parents. They decide to conduct their own parent trap to get the whole family back together. It doesn't go exactly as planned. 
Now, their extremely eccentric mom and dad are played by Megan Mullally and Nathan Lane. There's also Megan Thee Stallion, who plays their domineering boss, Gloria. And Bowen Yang is God, of course. Uh Sharp and Jackson adapted their screenplay from their two-man stage show that has a title which I unfortunately cannot repeat here. It's directed by Larry Charles. He also previously directed, among other things, Borat. So we all kind of, we know where we're going with this here. Yeah. Uh, If you don't know already, (laughs) Dixon Musical is in theaters now. So Glenn, let me start with you. I know earlier I mentioned it kind of has a John Waters feel to its sensibility, but you know, does that ring true for you? Do you feel as though they are channeling the spirit of Waters and things like Pink Flamingos and Female Trouble, that kind of thing? Yeah, they've shouted out John Waters. They've shouted out Strangers with Candy, Rocky Horror. I would bring Barb and Star go to Vistel del Mar into the mix. Oh, yeah. And the work of Charles Bush. Uh, you know, Google Vampire Lesbians of Sodom and Die Mommy Die. Wow, this is dumb. Wow, this is stupid. <laughs> it is so broad, but broad in its camp sensibility, not broad in its target audience. Mm, <laughs> because, yes. oh boy, this thing is incandescently queer, defiantly queer, ecstatically queer, violently queer, its appeal is going to zoom right past the 18 to 35 straight male demo and land squarely where it's fully intended to with the gals, gays, and days. And in a larger sense, folks, what are we even doing here? I mean, this thing is not just critic proof. It is critique proof because it's just one long extended put on. It's all archness. It's all pantomime. Every pseudo-emotional beat in this film is only there to make fun of the fact that in a real musical, this is where the emotional beat would come, right? Mm -hmm. The entire movie is an exercise in that. And to take anything about this movie seriously would just be wasting everybody's time. It exists to make you laugh and laugh in a very specific way, which is, I now realize, to coin a phrase, how did this get made? Um, I I saw (laughs) so many heads in that theater just shaking, kind of going, what are they even doing? It delivers on its purpose. (laughs) Let's just say it belongs to the camp tradition of let's make fun of the squares. We're all in this together. It is just us in here. We have been force-fed straight culture all our lives. We know it's boring. It's hack. It's dumb. It's ideas about sex. It's ideas about gender are uninteresting and joyless. So let's inflect it. Let's take it. Let's make it queer. Let's up the queer subtext. And if it doesn't have any, let's make some up. If it has queer subtext, let's turn it up into, into queer dom text. I had a lot of fun with this. I dug the tunes. I do have some thoughts about how well it transitions from a 30-minute, six-song musical review at UCB to an hour and 26-minute movie musical. Yeah. But, uh, Jeffrey, I think you can speak more directly to that because you actually saw it, right? I did. Um, And I cannot believe that I saw, like, a random show in 2015, and now here we are talking about it on NPR. Yeah. (laughs) But I saw when – I don't know if I can say this. It was called Effing Identical Twins – But um, it was not bleeped in the exact title. And Mm -hmm. I thought it was like one of the funniest things I'd ever seen on stage, actually. (laughs) It just, it's this big, bold concept. That's like what I want to see. I thought they like pulled it off. And I couldn't exactly tell uh, Glenn if you enjoyed it or not. So I just want to say like, I had a blast. I laughed. The audience I saw it with in theater just did not stop laughing from start to finish. And I I just thought was... Honestly, I thought it was fantastic. So I think I liked it a bit more than you did. I I had a great time. I have some quibbles, but I had a great time. It's interesting because I, look, I'm not a gay. I'm not a they. Uh, 
I guess I'm a gal, but like <laughs> I'm a straight gal. Uh, so this is like decidedly supposed to be not for me. I did have a good time. I will say, weirdly enough, my San Francisco screening, it's San Francisco, mm-hmm. was kind of not as enthusiastic as I think you would expect it to be. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if maybe the age range was maybe not quite right because yep. it was slightly older. Although you would think that John Waters is what, in his 70s, 80s? He's like, he's older. So you would think that mm-hmm. crowd would be into it. But th- I feel like there's a lot of kind of confusion. There's a lot of kind of dead air sometimes where clearly it was supposed mm-hmm. to be raucous. And I do wonder how much of that contributed to my experience of it because this is a movie the joke density is like up the wazoo. Like if there's one you don't like, another one will come along within two seconds. I think I admire this more than I found it really funny, if that makes sense. Hmm. And I also, Mm -hmm. the music was not hitting for me. Oh, interesting. Okay. The the songs were, because there just have been so many shows now that have done the same thing, parodied and lampooned the classic musical styles in, in every which way there is. Um, whether we're talking about the Book of Mormon, uh, Team America, the South Park guys, mm-hmm. the songs were not doing as much for me as I wanted them to. I did enjoy Megan Thee Stallion's song, Out Alpha the Alpha, which to me felt the most uh, interesting musically and also just like the choreography I thought was fun. The whole song is about her being the boss and having to deal with misogyny and sexism and being like, I am the boss. Um, And there's a little moment that I love and I want to just play a short piece from. Imagine, if you will, we murdered all the males. A woman-driven world where equity prevails. Sadly, that's not how it is. But don't you get upset. I'll put those boys right in their place. God damn, that makes me wet. I mean, isn't that what Greta Gerwig <laughs> was trying to say with Barbie? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Jeffrey, can you diagnose me? What is, what's wrong with me? <laughs> oh, I don't have time for this. It's a short podcast. But in the way that Glenn said, like, how did this get made? I think that's like one of the joys of it. Because yes. um, yeah. from the stage version, this just got even weirder, which I didn't think was possible. And I, I love that. But I think similarly to Megan Thee Stallion, it's like, how did they get her? Mm-hmm. It's one of those ideas in the room where like, let's try to get <laughs> Megan Thee Stallion. She'll say no. No, but let's just make the ask. Yeah. So I exactly. love that she signed on. They got these like theater greats with Nathan Lane and Megan Mullally we've talked about. Yeah. They got Bo and Yang to play, of course, God. The things that they were able to pull off, I think, came down to like the strength of like the script, probably. Because as you said, the joke density was off the chain. And in the screening I saw, like 95% of them landed, actually, which is so curious. I think that the performances of Sharp and Jackson in particular are very, of course, as you might imagine, theatrical, because that's the bit. Making fun of musical theater is the bit of this film. Yeah. Making fun of the kind of musical theater realization that happens in the song No One Understands. Because I've always been a fighter since the day that I was born on January 3rd, 1986. At 5.07 a.m. That's a great bit, right? I did love that bit. (laughs) That kind of satirical performance vibrates at a very specific frequency if you are 
at a late show at a place like UCB, and it's a dark, small space, and it's crowded, and everyone around you is queer, and you're queer, and you've been drinking, or maybe you've all timed your edibles correctly, there is something magical about that. You feel like you've been brought mm-hmm. into something. Everybody talks about queer community. In moments like that, you feel it. It's not abstract. And that is a Z-axis yeah. that a moment like that has. It's extra. No film can bring that vibe, that frequency. But what I like about this is an attempt has been made to preserve it. So director Larry Charles, I commend him because there is an effort to underscore here the roughness, the lo-fi, the small budget, the hey gang, let's put on a show in the basement vibe. It kind of pervades the entire movie. Yeah, yeah. I do think this is the kind of movie, like you said, though, Glenn, does lend itself to having, to feeling like a Rocky Horror Picture Show kind Mm -hmm. of event. I did like the lo-fi of it. Like, it looks like this was made on a shoestring budget and like the, and I mean that as a compliment. Like, it felt, it had that sort of grimy feel to it. Um, It's just interesting to me because I just, for whatever reason, I love the absurdistness of it. We haven't even talked about the Sewer Boys. Uh, I've been waiting the whole time, Aisha. Okay, Okay. Jeffrey, take it away. Explain the Sewer Boys. Oh, I can't explain the Sewer Boys. This has to be something you just, like, feel and know inside of you. Um, Okay, so in the purpose of the movie, they are... They're played by puppets. They're about one foot tall. They are um, barely clothed, like alien-looking things that s- apparently live in the sewers of New York City. <laughs> now, I've never seen them in life, but I believe they do exist for sure. And the Nathan Lane character has two. Pale little inbred creatures live underground, only communicate in clicks and whistles. I think it's just like the best example of what Glenn was saying of like this show was not trying to appeal to a broad audience. They were not yeah. trying to like make this like clean and PG in Disney. They were going as far like left or right or queer as you want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think maybe we went to the sewer boy well <laughs> or sewer once too often, but I get it. I get it. So we include uh, Nathan Lane and Megan Mullally. Keeping the queer sensibility, obviously, but like sometimes it doesn't seem like Sharp and Jackson are even in the same movie. They're all cartoons. Every character in this thing is a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Sharp and Jackson are really well-drawn stick figures and Lane and Mulally are, are Disney, right? Because Lane in particular, bless him, he is trying to find a through line. He is trying to find <laughs> some emotional truth in this character. Maybe – Maybe Malali's not quite – she's a little bit more down to clown. She is. I don't know what she's – she's kind of like a Carol Kane but also like has a lisp. It's it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> but they're both theatrical actors who are used to adapting a performance to the camera. You know what I mean? Not reining it in but, but keying it into exactly what the needs of the film are. I think Bowen Yang mm-hmm. kind of straddles both. He can do – broad and big like they're doing. He can also, it's not required of him in this particular role, but he can go um, more, I don't know, more specific. Like I'll give you an example. So Sharp and Jackson have this, in the beginning of the film, they're performing a kind of toxic heterosexuality. And the joke is, and the joke is called out at the beginning of the film that it's two gay men bravely bravely (laughs) performing heterosexuality. But it is performed for the back row. They are Ethel mermaining it in a big way. And It is not interested in finding any kind of nuance or specificity in that performance. Would it maybe have been funnier if it was? Maybe. But that is not the brief. That is not this movie. So Mm. I still dug it. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I think too, if, I'm, if I would critique it, I would say that like Megan Mullally's character didn't quite sit right with me. I don't want to be yeah. like the woke millennial, but um, I thought that the wheelchair was like given to that character just for laughs and not like better reason per se. And then during like one of the songs, she's like dancing and kicks up her legs. And so you yeah. realize like, oh, like she doesn't actually need the wheelchair. That kind of thing. Yeah, so like that didn't that yeah. me a little bit of the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, there's a way in which, you know, there there's distasteful and then there's like, are we being not quite mindful of the way we, you know, depict certain groups or people who like actually need wheelchairs? And I think like that is the question that we can and should ask. But, you know, of course, we can't get into spoiler territory, but it the movie ends in I thought it was kind of shocking kind of way, but again, feels very John Waters and like, we're yep. going to push the envelope here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a weird line to straddle. And they got away with Megan Lally's character because she was not the only character on screen in a wheelchair or with a disability. Yes. So like the comic, uh, yeah. Danielle Perez was in the movie. So mm-hmm. like it made it okay for me, but it just like had like a tiny like ting in the back of my ear of like, I don't love this. But um, on the whole, as you can tell, I'm fairly positive on this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, and I am too. I might not sound like it, but I am. I really am. I, I will say though, first time I saw the movie in MacGruber, first time I saw the movie Barb and Star, I was stone cold sober and I enjoyed them greatly. The second time I watched both those films was after a long night out and uh, instant Z-axis, instant. <laughs> it's like, I think it's, I think it's safe to say that this movie would benefit from a, from a Z-axis. Look, I, I loved Barb and Star the first time I saw it. I don't think I was, I was too inebriated, but again, that's the thing with this kind of any kind of humor, but especially this kind of humor is that like some things are going to work for certain people and some aren't. And I also really loved a lot of the visual gags and the repeating joke about how they work at a Vroomba yep. uh, company, but they don't make Vroombas. Uh, and that's Vroomba <laughs> with like a V in front of it. Uh, they only make like the parts for them. Sure. Like that's that's just like silly and fun. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> and I, I don't want to paint it like it's all these, these broad over the top jokes. There is texture to the film. Every so often they'll get a joke that kind of undercuts something that just came before, or they'll have a actual human reaction to something weird that happened as opposed mm-hmm. to just kind of going on with it. And that brings a little bit more, I don't want to use the word nuance. That is not the right word for this film, but it brings a little something. <laughs> a little oomph. A little oomph, mm-hmm. a little, a little mm-hmm. zest, a little zhuzh, yes. exactly. And with the visual jokes, I got to say, I haven't seen a movie in a while where every time they went to a new like setting or a new location, I was so excited to like look all around to find all the small like sight gags yeah. and the posters yeah. on the walls and this and that. And I was like just anticipating like the next scene change more or less. And I just haven't really experienced that in a while. Yeah. Yeah. To me, this was more making fun of musical theater than musical movies. You know what I mean? Because of that lo-fi, everything's obviously a set kind of vibe. Its aims were more narrow. And just as its audience (laughs) is more narrow. Do you think they were making fun of musicals and celebrating musicals or just making fun of them? Uh, I don't know. That's a good, that's a really good question, Jeffrey. I think, I think they're making fun of like, corny musicals like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers or, or or something like that. And they're kind of making fun of and they're kind of taking the queer subtext of Parent Trap and kind of like playing with that. Um, I, I think that's kind of what they're doing. Yeah. I feel it's a more sincere uh, – again, sincere is the wrong term to use <laughs> for this movie because everything's a bit. Everything's a take. It took me a while, but I got into it completely. For me, I was hearing all these different references to classic musicals. Like, I thought, like, they were in the sewer singing, but singing different parts. And to me, that was like a, like a Les Mis moment. I must run. You're so fine. Talking awesome. to 
your eyes I must oh, find I my life so much better when I am with you. As we said before, there was like the beats of like, here's the I wish song, here's like the falling sure. in love song, here's that. I saw like a a understanding of music theater that I thought like can only come from love. As we said, I saw this show in 2015. They've been working on this for eight years. I hope they love it. <laughs> and it's been like a joy. And I think that's what it was. And the sewer scene also has some Scooby-Doo to it. So, you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's a rich tapestry they're drawing. You're going to think I'm crazy. But watching this coming out of the theater, I was like, you know how they never like nominate an actor for the, like for an Oscar for a comedic performance? Well, similarly, like with the song. And I was like, what are the chances we can get like a best song nomination? Oh, Jeffrey, you sweet summer child. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm, that's, I'm holding out hope. Listen, it had a big opening at TIFF, the festival. They're doing a bigger, wide release now. I'm mm-hmm. like, let's let's get, see it some award love for the songs. I mean, who right. knows? Ha- from how did this get made to how did this get an Oscar nom? Yeah. It could happen. <laughs> yeah. I'll pass the petition around. <laughs> you know what? I'm probably going to watch this again because I, I feel like I owe it to myself. And, and I think there's some good stuff here. Yep. I admire it. Yeah, just fire up a Z-axis beforehand. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's the plan. <laughs> well, we want to know what you think about Dix the Musical. I'm sure you have lots of thoughts, as did we. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. Jeffrey Masters, Glenn Weldon, thanks so much for being here and for not judging me for feeling not meh about the movie. Stand well, it was... in your truth, <laughs> Stand in <my> truth. <laughs> It was a pleasure as always. Yes. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fatima and Liz Metzger and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Aisha Harris and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR.